spectacular. Shafi, Shafi, are you there? Lord knows, you know, we've got families we have. Uh, we have retirements to think about and stuff. Evening has fallen once again over the hill country surrounding Austin, Texas. This magical city looks so nice at this hour, just as sunset, just as the birds on Build a Landlord's bird feeder are wrapping up their evening repast, heading on home to warm their feet by the radios. Listen to One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast spectacular, which we got here for you today. So excited to be behind the mic in my ivy covered castle ready to talk to you got some very exciting things today we have some uh yield word shop coming up for you we might have i think we might have a quiz we haven't had a quiz in quite some time there might be a quiz i'm sure there's going to be some some whether there's a formal news cruise or not there will definitely be some news about our lives about my life and of course about uh, about another guy's life a guy who is known for having mandibles like the Predator, a guy who, a guy who, circa 1995, uh, through his children's folk singing, became known as the Pride of Tarzana, California. The man inside two garages. It's Matthew Rampy. Podcast till burn it, burn, Brooklyn. Cast on the pedal, never laptop metal. Schaefer running hotter than a boiling kettle. My cast ain't a job, it's a damn good time. Episode after episode, we're running our rhyme. Podcast Nation, listeners craving. OMH, always on vacation. Dodgy Wi-Fi signal, but stable turntable. We do what we do best because we're willing and able. I went all the way back to uh, License to Ill for that. For I you. love it. For one I magical nation for one magical universe i want to talk more about the beastie boys later in the show so it's a bit of and you know what even though you know maybe at face value podcasting is not podcasting twice a week is not quite as exciting as touring touring the music <laughs> venues of the world in your i see your where you're going yes, well-known yes. rap act you know that and, and sure that's fun if you're a kid but i would say you know for us guys you know, being at the point we are in our lives, I think I think it is that much fun. It's just a different kind of fun. Would you agree? I get pretty stoked to do a dumb uh, song parody. You know, right here, <laughs> get, right here I, in my yeah. garage. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's quite the level of like what happened to the Beastie Boys and how they blew up. Um, I get so excited right, about right it. there at first. Um, you I know, watched what? the I watched the Beastie Boys story on Apple TV, and I know I'm probably the last one to have seen it, um, but uh, I'm 
the, those guys are inspirational. And but I'd like to talk about that way later in the cast when we're like, ah, we need something to talk about because tonight's cast is jam packed. I'll just that that wistful. Uh, wistful for the past shit can just wait till the end let's let's you know, get the good stuff up front you're not the last person to have seen it because i haven't seen it yet so i'm really excited to hear you talk about it oh that that's good this will be like a conversation where one person's seen it and the other person hasn't and, um, <laughs> <laughs> just like one of my just like one of those stupid kids shows that i watch that nobody's seen and i'm telling happily, people about it i do have I'll happily pass my opinion on it though even though i haven't seen it for, for uh, another, some more uh, pre-promotion is uh, I've I've got another kids show, uh, Disney's The Secret of Sulphur Springs, locked and loaded. I'm not all the way through the season yet. Um, actually, the fam is watching it without me tonight because we're podcasting a little early. But uh, oh no, how dare up. they? Yeah, it, it's like a how dare they. It's like a kid version of uh, Twin Peaks mixed with Lost. Um. <laughs> mixed with some other ridiculous show uh, it's pretty interesting so that anyway some other time we'll talk about that i, I love like it ridiculous. that we have i love it that we have topics that we can just like throw down as like someday we're going to talk about that you're just selling the sizzle right here at the first of episode 90 episode sizzle. 90 of one magical hour sizzle. Um, listen i on a personal note I love it that you shower before the podcast. Oh, I want to be nice and fresh for you, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm the same way. I like to be cleaned and 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 pressed, and sometimes I dress up, uh, even though I'm just in my garage, just getting ready for the podcast. You just feel better, right? Yeah, definitely. You can hear it in our voices, our dead sexy voices. Um. So, what are we talking about on episode 90? What's going on? Uh, oh, I want to rearrange the show sheet just a little here. Okay. I think that we should go right into Yield Wordshop tonight. Okay, since, sounds good. Since like since for once we like actually have we like have a segment like plugged in and ready to go like even sort of prepared for a segment, you know. But what was funny about this is both of us put a phrase on Yield Wordshop this week, and your your phrase was up there first. So, talk to us about your. This is the part where we like we improve communication between people, right? I said this to someone the other day. I think it probably was my niece Dottie, but. It might have been Brother Dick. I know it's definitely, it was when I was over at the Dick and Kathleen residence. And I said to somebody, mum's the word. Mm. And I know, I understand, you know, what the statement means and where, you know, the word, the word mum, you know, to keep mum is to be silent, you know? Uh, so wait, is that like mummy or chrysanthemum? Okay, yeah, that's a good question. No. The reason that mum means keep your mouth shut is because mmm is the sound you make when your mouth's closed and you talk. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, okay. 
So, hmm. mum's the word, or keep mum could be, uh, you know, is is more likely words. If you go back to uh, Shakespeare's Henry the Sixth, Part Two, oh. seal up your lips and give no words but mum. So, yeah, so really what confused me about the statement, mum's the word, was the phrasing of that, mum's the word. Like, you know, why, it was weird to me that, that you know, silent, you know, why, why was it phrased? It's an unusual phrasing. Silence is the word. And so that's why, because mum is, yeah, it indicates how the word would sound if your mouth was closed. Mm. Instead of the word that you're not supposed to say, what comes out is mm, 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 mm. And therefore, the word becomes mm. Anyway, <laughs> like, uh, I thought, you know, that was one that I, I really didn't, I didn't realize was going to be as exciting as it was, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, I just thought it was weird. You know, the structure was weird. I thought that I knew... You know, and then mom, you know, there's mime, so it's silent. Like, it wasn't surprising to me that uh, that mom meant silence or muteness. Uh, but I, I, I didn't know the, uh, I didn't know that its origin was actually verbalizing yourself with your mouth closed. So, yeah. And then, and then that explains the, the word becoming mum. And the word became mum. The word was made mum. It's ominous. Mom is now the word, my friend. No, not on one magical hour. The word on one magical hour, the word is never mum, unless there's a recording problem that's making us hard to understand. Yeah, in even though case. you, even though you just described it all and explained it in perfect terms, I still I still don't know what mum the word is. So much so that that's how it is on one magical hour. With like we we don't need, we don't know the meaning of mum. Yeah, we don't we don't personally recognize mum. However, I'm a conscientious cur- objector to mum. Currently, all of Adam Wentworth's words are mum, are they not? <laughs> Sorry, Adam. We uh, we, you will be you will be getting a lovely episode about movies talking with Adam Wentworth. Post haste, we promise we're you. Still work, we're still Speaking working. We're still working on forward production. Boy. We've got lots. We got lots of great ideas. Uh, We're going to all do it together. It's going to be a fun group. Adam, get ready. Get stoked. And so, one magical um, nation. Get ready for part two (laughs) of Yield Word Chuck. Yeah, the robot has spoken, and here comes part two of one of Alex Battle's favorite segments. So I feel like these two phrases are like from the same era somehow. I don't know that for sure, but uh, and I've heard, um, you know, I hear Adam say this sometime: uh, "Soup to nuts." Yeah. <laughs> you ever hear this? Somebody goes, "Oh, he knows it's soup to nuts." Yep. They understand that process, soup to nuts, and I always found that I always found it a little off-putting. Yeah. Quite honestly, because. First thing, I, I, mind in the gutter over here. I I thought nuts meant testicles. One um, could hardly blame you for that, my friend. Right, and then and then soup to nuts. 
that either sounds like a fetish or, <laughs> or you know sometimes when it's hot there's like that crotch pot cooking and it's kind of soupy down there soup to nuts boy I, this podcast is usually way more highbrow than this but um, yeah soup to nuts sounds like you know those those like uh those internet sex positions that you know at least to me don't really exist uh like dirty sanchez or, or, or whatever sounds like oh yeah they were i thought it had yeah right right yeah dirt something dirty i thought it had something to do with prison sex maybe <laughs> oh dear <laughs> <laughs> we're earning our e-rating tonight um but no no it has a completely like um at least time period appropriate context um this is from like the a dictionary of idioms the origin is for centuries any food served at the beginning or end of a meal stood for the entire thing the start and finish and everything in between the expression was from eggs to apples and from pottage to cheese in the united states in the middle of the 20th century the expression developed into from soup to nuts at many meals, soup is the first course, and a dessert with nuts is sometimes the last. The expression does not have to refer only to meals. It could, however, refer to prison sex, is what this, <laughs> is what this says. Matthew, um, how do you feel about desserts with nuts in them? Whew, that's a good question, Shafee. That's a real valid question. Um <sighs> I think I th- I'm going to throw it back to you real quick and I'll answer your question. But what's what is the first dessert you think of when you think of I think of with, I think of pecan nuts? sorry, pecan pralines. Pecan oh, you think of pralines? Pralines? Do I say pralines funny? <laughs> yeah, Do I say pra- I get, a, a time after time you probably say it correctly, but I'm just pecan telling you how pralines or pecan pralines. I think it's pecan pralines. I'm pretty sure, but <laughs> that could be. I uh, I always think of those colloquialism because I don't know if you remember, but when I was a kid in Texas, particularly in uh, San Antonio, there were these ubiquitous pecan pralines that were wrapped in like this pink, pink kind of plasticky paper. Oh, and I just shit. I thought that they were terrible. I thought that they were like trick candy. It was like, it was like, uh, just oh, they, like you thought stale, they good, huh? stale pecans with some kind of like edible cement in between them, cement in between them, <laughs> C- cemented pecan pralines, and uh, and they yeah and they drove me nuts. Uh, no, not not to no pun intended. I did not. I, I you Whoa. know I could not fathom, and. However, my my dad loves my dad's always loved pecan sandies. My dad loves anything with pecans in it. So I actually, you know, I developed a taste for German chocolate cake because of my dad. And uh, I think, you know, this is something that I found out anytime that I think that there's a difference between my dad and I. I discover that if I wait 20 years, I see that whatever it is that I thought was different. It turns out my dad and I are exactly the same. I'm just running 20 years behind him. Um, right. Which makes does, sense. Wait, wait. Does Given German our genetic, cake, what's that? True, that tracks for sure genetically. <laughs> D- does does German chocolate cake have nuts in it? 
yeah. Uh, well, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe they, maybe we just added added pecans for my father because we knew he loved them and loved Herman. It's got coconuts. Yeah, <laughs> which is not, which is I don't think that's actually a nut. I think huh. that's a misnomer. Hey, there's there's a there's a future yows. <laughs> uh, but coconut. Definitely, um, I never liked nuts and ice cream, and I never. Uh, I however, I have always loved pecan pie. I'll tell you that much. See, uh, back to your question. I don't care for pecan pie. I love pecans, but I do not care for pecan pie. And pecan pie is so cloyingly sweet. It's like it's jacked. I don't know. And then, <laughs> stop, and stop, then, Matthew. Matthew, stop. Wait, wait. What kind of sweet? Cloyingly. Did I use that right? Cloyingly. <laughs> cloyingly. <laughs> it's funny because I actually my my grandfather's sister was named Chloe, <laughs> and they called her Aunt Chloe. Isn't that the uh, same? Well, no, it's it's C L O Y. Uh, yeah, Chloe. 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 Cloying. How am Cloying, I spe- how yeah. am I saying that? And that means Cloying, yeah, that's that's like very kind of sweet, super yeah, sickly sweet. sweet. Yeah. Okay, and the, <laughs> thank you for stopping me there. Uh, and then, well, this is this is a Yule workshop. We might as well get, absolutely, no, no, get we as much get out right. of it as we can. God, we got to get it right. I mean, people are gonna play this shit at our funerals and be like, they didn't, they didn't get it right. They were never right. <laughs> they were. <laughs> they, they could, you could play a hundred yield workshops, and we mispronounce fifty English words. Native English speakers, we call ourselves quote unquote. I'm doing air quotes over here. Let me get back to the topic at hand, which is nuts and desserts. The first thing, actually, that I think about when you say that is like a Dairy Queen ice, like a Dairy Queen Sunday. Doesn't Dairy Queen throw some like chopped peanuts on their Sunday and it like sits on top of the fucking whipped cream? That sounds like something they might do. Yeah. 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 Which I, I, I'm. This was the tangent of all tangents here, which I love, by the way which we wrote the book on that. But um, no to nuts and desserts, really, I think, for me. Like, I don't like nuts and ice cream. Oh, although I do like, I do like pralines and cream, ice cream, when that has pralines in it. Yeah, you know, dad was was crazy about pralines and cream ice cream, too. And as a kid, I did not approve of it. I I haven't no I have not tried it since I was a little kid, so maybe I, I wouldn't be surprised if I gave it another shot if I just discovered that I really loved it. We've already talked about this. What's your Baskin Robbins order? Definitely, if I go into Baskin Robbins, I'm looking for the pralines and cream. If I'm not in a rainbow sherbet mood. Interesting. I. Yeah. Uh, at Baskin and Robbins specifically, I would be all about the peanut butter chocolate ice cream. Peanut butter chocolate ice cream. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I remember well, when anyways. I first discovered that, yeah, it completely blew my mind. I was like, wow, they can do this. Uh, before that, I would have been mostly mint chocolate chip or occasionally cookies and cream. And I both, I still love both of those flavors of ice cream. As you know, you really shouldn't get me started talking about ice cream. Um, but uh let's change the topic but yeah a waffle cone with uh peanut butter chocolate ice cream in it Hmm. would be 
That's still, your as a grown man, still my move at, at any Baskin Robbins. I haven't been to a Baskin Robbins in probably 20 years. Well, there's not a ton of them here in Austin. There's one that I know of. It's at Parmer and Mopac. <laughs> there was one in San Antonio that my mom took me to very regularly. That was a great. That was a great reward for any, for the rare, <laughs> the rare triumph, the rare good thing that I ever might have done. <laughs> Courtney Campbell worked at Baskin and Robbins. Oh, really? In in high school, yeah. Among the many, among the many reasons we could think of to love dear Courtney Campbell, right? Um, well, I feel like that was a pretty complete workshop. I mean, it was maybe not our best because we did mispronounce a bunch of English words right in the middle of it. But I I disagree. I think I think that that was the single best the single best edition of Yield Workshop yet. Did you notice, Matthew? Did you notice uh, at the top of the at the top of the show? I forward promoted prom- promoted the segments. That's um, that's especially for uh, executive producer Alex Battles has discussed on, in one. We have long, you know, epic phone conversations about twice a week, and he has been adamant about you know it's something that. I kind of didn't do because Luke does it and already my introduction <laughs> really resembles Luke from TBTLs in a lot of ways. Uh, but I was like, no executive producer, Alex battles is absolutely right. I should be f- forward prom- promoting this, the segments at the beginning of the show. So, well, I'm a little embarrassed here because I did not hear that. Oh, <laughs> I was totally like reviewing my Beastie Boys parody lyrics. Yeah, yeah, you got you have an important and job that I, you, you I'm, know. I'm just waiting for you to say Matthew Ramp. You know, like, <laughs> I, I have I have no idea what you're saying. Sometimes when I'm editing the show, I'm like, oh, that's interesting what you said there. Um, <laughs> that's so. That's that, great. That's a personal. I, I have a really. It's like a. It's like a self-centered problem. I apologize, but um. No, I understand um, completely. 100 uh, percent but i think that's great that you did so what was one of the segments pretending i'm not looking at the show sheet <laughs> there was <laughs> there was a uh what or how how did you say them because on the show sheet they don't look like titles or anything. yeah i said like well, the said ravings def- of t- the what typed I, up ravings of two madmen is what the show yeah, sheet looks like. What I said, yeah, what I said was there's definitely a yield word shop, and then I said there might be a quiz because I had oh, you nice. know the quiz idea in the back of my head, uh-huh. and then I I looked at those other things and I said, and maybe there will be a news cruise. I don't really know. <laughs> like <this>. Right. <laughs> I don't I, I don't necessarily do have a news cruise, but I do have some. Um, let's some... definitely let's definitely not make everything as racist a segment. <laughs> Well, okay, I do want to talk about that for ju- for just a second. Just a second. I was so I was with Manish at the bar uh, this last weekend, having some lunch, some pub lunch at the front page, and uh, I, th- I I believe I ran into you there, proprietor of the front page, and we were and, uh, and Griffin came in hoping for hoping for for some more Blue Lagoon, but didn't find any. <laughs> I know it's pretty disappointing. Um, He's like, "Hey, where's the where's the grown-ups and diapers, guys?" Well, I don't want uh, I don't want people to think that I'm the kind of guy who takes his kids to bars. It's a pub, 
It's a pub yeah. lunch. It's fine. Yeah. It's, br- it's, it's British. different when it's your friend's bar, and you know, like, of it's, course, you know, yeah. Griffin's sitting there with Porter and I, and that's that's great for any kid. I think that you guys are pretty safe in yeah. terms of adult males. I could leave him with. Um, let me just give some context to the comment on the show sheet that says everything is racist. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I disagree. Am bec- I, am, I am becoming more and more aware of racism as a system and how it's woven into uh, the American system and the really the imperial imperialist way of life. I think um, Manish was, I don't know what the context for this was. I think we were just talking about getting back out into the world and doing things. And Manish was like, I have no interest in getting better at bowling or foosball I don't care about those things. And uh, he was like, oh, I like pool, which we know. Manish is an excellent pool player. And mm-hmm. it's, boy, it's been a long time since we've been to a pool hall. Let's put a pin in that, Manish. Let's go to a pool hall. Um, and and then it's, we were having lunch with Manish and his sister and his brother-in-law and, and their two kids. And Manish's sister said, yeah, but you, you like, um, I can't remember what she said. She said, I think she said, you like, we like ping pong. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. She goes, we like ping pong. And he goes, table tennis. And his brother-in-law said, uh, what's the difference? What's the difference between ping pong and table tennis? And Manish goes, well, one's racist. (laughs) (laughs) And he's right. I think I didn't really research this coming on the show. Is the title of ping pong racist? Is the term well, here's right here on Google. It's the, one of the very first things is is the term ping pong offensive? It's derived from ping pong qui Mandarin Chinese, which translates to literally ping pong ball. In other words, ping pong is a correct Mandarin Chinese name for the sport. Well, anyway, Manish was thinking that that was if any term should be considered offensive or dismissive, it's table tennis. What? This has got to be wrong. Um. Anyway, we started talking about how I started talking about how <laughs> like it's an absolute minefield of and we've talked about this on the show already that there's so many phrases and things that you say, things that you hear are uh, based in a racist past. And I would my example was in, in American imperialism, we came and we stole native lands and then we built cities on those lands and then we named the cities like after the chief yeah that's Se- Se- seattle milwaukee uh, i mean it, the, the list goes balls. on and yeah, on yeah. um and you know then even more so to like to name your sports teams after them like that's to make a mascot out of them like here's a cute funny thing it's going to serve as an allegory for our, for our sports team, you know, our pastime, our professional pastime. Uh, yeah, I mean, don't get me started on. That. I agree, you know. Yeah, it just must have been a total kick in the balls. You're like, no, you can't live here anymore. We're sending you off, you know, to to die in the snow in the Dakotas, and we're going to name this city after you. Adios. Yeah, it's terrible. 
It's um, really in your face. It's, it's really in your face. So I, I don't know. Uh, I get in those conversations with with people and I don't I'm not shy away from that. And at some point it feels like we've just made a lot of mis- there There's another thing with American imperialism. Excuse me. I didn't finish my sentence. I have a I have a, I have a I, I do that often. I have a proclivity for that. Um, we do this other thing in American imperialism where we we call things in English, like major world capitals, like M- Moscow, for instance. In Russia, they call that Moskva. Why can't we say Moskva? No, we, we've got to have our own English version of it. That sort of sounds similar, but it's not the same. Or Japan's another example. Japan is Nippon. We call it Japan. Like, what is that? Why, why do we take something? We just have to take it and make it our own. Um, you know, I mean, that's something that is, any is that, any culture is, does, though. It's not, you know, the French right. have the French call America les États-Unis. What do they call? Uh, what do they call us? <laughs> les États-Unis. It's bastards. That just means the United States. Oh, right, but. You know, it's still it's different, right? It's 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 Francophized. Uh, you know, I uh, everybody has a different word for everything. I I don't think you should get too bogged down in that, Matthew, because okay. I won't. Because yeah, everybody has a different word for it. It's a different language. It's okay to have a different yeah. word. Um, okay. It just uh, seems like we're the. Hu- is, I just see the hubris. It is kind of weird, you know. To, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, also, you know who, uh, you know, uh, my friend Lucas Marquardt. He, as soon as he meets anybody, comes up with a nickname for him, and it might not be their name at all. Like he calls me Foyer because. A hall is kind of like a foyer. <laughs> and so it's like the French pronunciation of the, an anteroom that's kind of like a hall. And Fo- foyer is French for lobby, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's the sort of thing where, you know, to the wrong person, it can be really annoying and even offensive. But it's Lucas's way of becoming friends with you, you know? Do you, but do you think that that's the way America becomes friends? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying that there's there's lots of things at work psychologically for doing that. You know, it, it's it's about orienting yourself in the world. Um, and it, l- listen, me... I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that of all of the racist things, that's a really relatively minor one because that's kind of just how a lot of people approach the world. Uh, and which okay, I realize also a lot of people approach the world in a racist way. And we need to, you know, recognize and correct that. So, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe we just need to start trying to do everything differently from the ground up. And, you know, maybe, you know, 300 years from now, things will be changed. I don't think that they will, Matthew. (laughs) You know, I was thinking, I was driving to work the other day and the song Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan came on. And that song, you know, with like in the post-Trump period you know when you know when everybody's got a lot of worry on their minds but also you know 
you know, the the police shootings of black men, you know, everything going on. When Bob Dylan asked, you know, how many how many times must the cannonballs fly before they're forever banned? How many seas must the white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? How, you know, and I realized the answer to all of those questions is currently either a long fucking time or maybe never, you know? I Like, the answer to those questions 50 years later after that song is still not yet, right? And, none of you know, it doesn't feel in sight. So that, that song, which, you know... And, you know, and then he goes on to say the answer's blowing in the wind. I, you know... I think, you know, if you listen to that song and don't really think about it, it kind of sounds like a nice folk song or whatever, the song of a dreamer, but really it's the, just the sound of a brutal realist. It's the song of a brutal realist. There's somebody... Uh, you know, who who has looked at the world and is like, holy shit! You know, I understand now. This this is as you know as impossible to you know to rather these problems are as many as particles of dust, and they're you know it's like it's as likely to predict their end as to predict the movements of dust in the wind, or uh, you know. Sorry, I <laughs> I put another song in there, I think, but uh No, that's all right. You I'm understand not super what I'm saying. familiar with that song. I was just reading the lyrics. It's it's definitely apropos here. Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, but let me ask you, Shafi, does that, do you think everything is racist? <laughs> yes. No, I okay. do. And I think, yeah. you know, at like, least in like, America. A lot of people complain about, you know, that they, you know, they're like, oh, you know, everything's racist. You can't really say anything these days or whatever, you know. But no, I don't think that that's... I I think that just, like, if you start with, yes, everything is racist, then you can start to correct it. Uh, like, everything is racist. The answer is yes. And that means we need to rethink everything. We need changes, you know, from the very top to the very bottom, uh, you know, or things are not going to be made right. And I know... I know that most white people do want to make things right. And I know the large percentage of black people want to make things right. Did you the say vast, most white people should the vast know. majority yeah. The mass the vast majority of people just want want the world to be the right. They want the world to be a good place. Uh, and for that to happen, everything needs to change. So yes, everything is racist. Let's start there and maybe we can start to fix things. Yeah, that's so true. Um, that's been weighing heavily on my mind. Sorry to bring the cast down with some <laughs> real talk, everybody. I just, I don't know. I was like, oh my, when I started mentioning blowing in the wind, I was like, oh, I guess we're just doing this. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I think that's fine. I yeah. think, it, I think this dovetails right into the next item on the show sheet, which you put on there. Arsenal of democracy. Tell me, tell me about that. This is something I've been that learning. Doesn't, that doesn't sound light. So I created, <laughs> I created a, a Twitter feed for One Magical Hour, and that's kind of gotten me into Twitter where I wasn't really before. I, this is a space I have not played in as our beloved. Put your boots on. Our beloved Get, podcast get your rubber gloves say. on before you go into Twitter. No, yeah, no shit, right? Um, so <laughs> it's, a what gutter, I, it's a gutter out there. You know, you get on Twitter and they immediately give you like a recommendation of, you know, 
a series of folks to follow. Like, and I followed Joe Biden and I followed AOC. This, I guess, this was right about uh, the time of the election, and uh, and I followed the Lincoln Project, and the really like these the the tweets that pop up from the Lincoln Project are super interesting. You know, the Lincoln Project is a progressive, uh, you know, nonprofit or whatever. Uh, and there's this subgroup called the Arsenal of Democracy Project. And it's just, it grabbed my eyes. Yeah, because it's, it's written in this, like, you know, that kind of military font, you know, like you would see uh, stenciled onto, a, like, a military locker. For sure. Uh, and it's, it just says, Arsenal of Democracy Project, defending our voting rights. And... You know, it's just it's taken the progressive agenda and it's putting it in the, you know, in the military uh, inflammatory. Um, it's it's taken a taken a page, you know, from the radical right and, you know, puts everything in their inflammatory sort of uh, sort of uh, lens, you know, looks through their inflammatory lens so that you know, that everything's like, oh, you know, they're coming to get you. They're they're coming to, you know, the Republicans are trying to make voting harder. They're trying to take your beloved do- democracy away from you, you know? And it's, uh, and, you know, something has to be done. We have to, good people of America who care about America, who are patriots, have to stand up. And it's, you know, it's done with a lot of red, white, and blue. And I just saw it. I was just like, I love this. I, you know, I do think that the progressive agenda needs to be thought about that way. And I, you know, I just thought about, you know, when I was a kid and, you know, there were like, there were punk bands like Propagandi, you know, that were anti-imperialism, anti-colonialism, you know, uh, and, you know, uh, and, you know, people like Jello Biafra and uh, the Dead Kennedys, you know, and how a progressive agenda was put in this, you know, in this very combative, very uh, even violent, scary, you know, and that, you know, that really grabs, you know, a young kid. And I think, you know, this is another way of of repackaging an agenda so that, you know, it, if if you are the kind of person who says, oh, yes, I would, you know, if, if I felt like my nation was under attack, I would want to take up arms against the attacker. And, you know, and currently, if for, the, for a great swath of our country, the Republicans are attacking your right to vote. And there's, that is just, that's the only way of describing it. So uh, anyway, it was, it was fun for me to see that, you know, that kind of, that, that, that kind of uh, rhetoric used and, you know, just, it got me, you know, fired up in a funny way. I don't, I'm somebody, you know, who didn't necessarily need to come around to the progressive agenda. So I don't know if it would work on, you know, somebody, maybe somebody who was on the fence, if those people really exist anymore. Um, yeah, right. But also, you know, I needed a little fire lit under me and that, <laughs> and that I ain't going to lie, that lit my fire just a little bit. So, you know, so good on them for that too. Um, Arsenal of Democracy. And there's, uh, I think it's, oh, I actually, I think Arsenal of Democracy is kind of an older term, but if you look up Arsenal of Democracy Project, then you get uh, what I'm talking about. I have a lot of thoughts about that, and it could really devolve into a political <laughs> thing. And I don't, I don't want to do that. Not and not against. Obviously, we are aligned politically here. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I personally think that the, um, I think in this country, the right became extreme first, just going back to like Rush Limbaugh and Newt Gingrich and their kind of in tandem way of, of dividing us and the Clinton era really, you know, uh, got got the conservatives into a froth and then I, I feel like in the last 15 years or so is when the left has gotten has had to get a little more militaristic with their whole thing and I, I, I do think there's a thing where the left ends up resorting to tactics that you would associate with the right and that's when we are reminded that the political spectrum is really it's not a linear thing. It's circular. And at the in the in the there's the center. And as you go out, it sort of bends back towards itself in a way. Um, are you familiar with this concept that the spectrum is not like this, that the spectrum bends back? And so really extreme left and extreme right end up in practice looking like one another, you know, yeah, sort okay, of a cultural, yeah, know, yeah. A, sort sure. of a cultural thought hegemony. I think that's a little extreme for American politics. Even, even as divisive as everything is in this country, that's still a little, I think everything's still kind of in the center in America, you know, but um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, there obviously events of the last <laughs> five or six years have, made me want to feel more like a liberal lion and not, um, you know, it's good that the left, that there's momentum on the left. See, I shouldn't have said anything. It would have been fine if I'd have just been like, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I don't want to call. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't, I don't think that most, most members of one magical nation were about to run out and Google the Arsenal of Democracy project, but I just did, and I can't really find evidence of it anywhere. I don't. If you're actually looking to change or help things politically, don't do it through the Arsenal of Demo Democracy. I think I might have been catfished or gaslighted or something. Um, I love it when a when a segment on this program is based on <laughs> gaslighting. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, gives I really, us, <laughs> it gives us it gives certain, us a special credence. Like, I, those guys, words, doesn't it? <laughs> I can hear people saying, "Boy, those guys' political ideas are about as good as their pronunciation of English words." <laughs> well, I got, a, and I'm going to follow this up with another. No one is uh, as aware of my foibles as I am, sir. <laughs> good, good. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to follow that up with a really another. Uh, admission of ignorance, a big mea culpa. Maybe I was wrong about the legend of Austin FC. See, ever since last podcast, when I was really, I was complimenting the marketing crew that were behind the building of a legend that hadn't even lived yet. Can you imagine that? It's like saying an embryo is a legend. Oh, that. This is this is this will play into the right. Oh, that embryo—he's gonna lead a, a legendary life. <laughs> um, ever since we were talking about Austin FC, they have gone on to—they won the game against the Colorado Rapids, where we were we were 
podcasting during the game and i was saying yeah. how do they build a legend on somebody that's never even scored a goal and then they won three to nil con- or no i think it was three, three to one three to one but convincing. yeah yeah they like cranked out win. they cranked great. out three goals in 15 minutes or something like that i feel like that's is that murphy's law or what's that thing where as soon as you say i have such just juju uh i'm so so superstitious as soon as you say something about it it's gonna rain down hellfire and frogs and last Um, uh, man last night's game was a riot uh we it's really exciting there's definitely a there's a group growing at the front page who are uh who are you're watching it down there at the front page huh yeah yeah yeah. and you know that makes it even more fun obviously so yeah we had a we had a really good time. If you, if you wanna, if you wanna get into, I'll have to join for that one of those. Nights, rooting yeah. for, uh, yeah, rooting for Los Arboles, or as I like to call them, Los Argoles. Argoles. Uh, uh, get it. All uh, right, all right, all right, all right. Vamos Argoles. Uh, um, well, very exciting. I'm sorry yeah. for doubting. Birdis. Come down to the come down to the front page if you have green fever. If McConaughey's listening, I'm sorry for being a negative Nelly. <laughs> a Verde fever. Yeah, we yeah. should have known if if uh if McConaughey was behind it, it was gonna be all right, all right, all right. I wanna wrap up my grandstanding tonight with um an avocado review. Okay. It's an avocado review slash rant. Hold on, hold on. Let me bring up something here on the on the old interwebs. Um, I mentioned it earlier in the program. I parodied No Sleep Till Brooklyn and the thing. I've mentioned the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys have been a huge influence in my life. I was a kid in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> in like 1985 and i had a couple of tapes there was an african-american kid on my block michael and he gave me a couple tapes one of them was uh i don't remember if they were on different i remember them being on different cassettes it was like a fat boy's whole album but another one was a single i had um nucleus jam on it and then i had um utfo roxanne roxanne and i was how how can a nine-year-old in Lubbock have these feelings about hip-hop? I don't know, but I was having them. And um, I remember License to Ill came out, and it really felt like it legitimized being a B-boy as a white kid, you know, and that was great. And I was like, I mean, listen, License to Ill is a crazy, amazing album. You know, it sounds so good. Anyway, I watched the Beastie Boys story on Apple+. Plus. And it's it's a stage show of uh, Mike D and Ad Rock, and they have a live audience in a in a, a theater in New York. Uh, um, well, I can't remember the theater right offhand. Great great space it looks like, and it's basically a slideshow. And apparently, Spike Jones is running the slides because yeah. they interact with him some during the thing. I mean, it's basically their recollection of the, how, how it all went down. And um, it's just amazing that there are some friends and, you know, found each other when they were young and playing in punk bands. And then 
they started listening to rap and got obsessed and made some kind of joke singles. And then they met Rick Rubin. Yeah. He had a, he had a studio in his NYU dorm, right? Yeah. 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 Studio in his NYU dorm. And, and then he knew Russell Simmons, the, the managers of run DMC. And, you know, they basically Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons produced, you know, the beastie boys, that first iteration of them. Really the story is about artists, true, true artists, like going out there and going for it and then changing with the times and, and, you know, the, the fight for your right to party thing at first was a joke to them. And they went on tour and then the crowds became those guys, frat guys and, and party boys, the people, the type of people they'd never really even met. And then they became like the, the flagship for them, (laughs) you know, like they became the spokesman for this group of people that they didn't want to really be associated with. And then it was, then they were caught up in like a music production machine where, you know, after the album came out, tour, 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 but then they stopped touring and, and basically Def Jam said, you know, we're not going to pay you because you're in breach of contract. Um, you you got to produce Fight for Your Right to Party 2. Um, the, way, the, the way they grew up and, and changed and then they did this other thing and Paul's Boutique, the whole story behind that, how that was a commercial failure, but now it's seen as a visionary album and then everything that grew out of that. And of course, all of, of course, the, the elephant in the room is that Adam Yout is not with us, MCA, and, and, yeah. and how, how his seeking and growing and changing in the world and how he was really like, in a way, the driving force behind you know, keeping the momentum going. And, and, uh, I don't know, those guys have been a big part of my life. I feel like it's, which is weird. And like, um, but then also I was feeling inspired again by them. And, um, and then a feeling like I've wasted 30 years, not doing more artistically, just thinking about what they've done. And, I'm so um, excited to watch this. I, I really like the sound of. I hope I like, didn't your reaction spoil to the it. shit yeah. out of it. Like no, no. But uh, and you but, know, but let wait. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, like definitely. Uh, yeah, to hear your reaction, you know, I was just going to come like so many kids our age and now adults, like. I mean, they just hit it just the right time for us, you know? I remember I knew of Run DMC, and I appreciated Run DMC. And then the next the next rap album I got after that was the Beastie Boys. So, you know, uh, they, uh, they were very much, you know, kind of on the crest of, you know, rap going mainstream, which is, you know, which is interesting. Well, and then, the, then, you know, just a few years later, you get this album, Paul's Boutique. I remember at that time, now I'm like, now I'm like 12, 13. And it's all these disco samples. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand it at the time. And um, <laughs> I, 
I didn't know what to make of it. And then some years passed and I'm in high school and that and check your head comes out and it's totally different. And it's so interesting to hear about like the minutiae of what was happening behind the scenes that pushed them in these directions. Yeah. You know, you know I remember, you know, the critics definitely, but everybody kind of going nuts for check your head. And I remember, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to like say that I'm cooler than anybody or anything else, but I remember being like, you know, I, this album is chaotic to me and I like the, you know, the flow and the danceability of Paul's boutique much better. Um, the, like the punk rock hard edge. I was like, this is not who the beastie boys are to me. They're groovy. They're, um, and not to say that I didn't like check your head. I just didn't, I, it didn't, uh, it didn't immediately leap to the top of my, my pantheon, my Beatles, uh, beach boy, Beatles, beach boys, beastie boys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hierarchy uh, as fast as it seemed to everybody else. Well, That's... I think after you hear the story from them personally, you'll understand like the crucible that they were in that led to that album. So they were it's angry like, probably. Well, it was, but and it was also like a return. It was a return to who they were. Yeah. Like rap stars is not what they really wanted to be or meant to be. And it yeah. just happened that way. And that was what was, that was what was marketable for Russell, which yeah. I mean, which made a great thing. But but and then then the thing they made after what they thought was visionary and it just flopping was like, that's some, that's, yeah, that's, that's some hard, hard shit, man. Like Capitol Records gave them all this money and they thought it was going to be like huge. Like it was just just to, to come out on your freshman thing and be on top of the world. And all the places you end up after that, like the way they dealt with the adversity of being ignored is interesting. And and then Check Your Head is really more like the album that they would have made if they were just kids making records, you know, like not produced by somebody. I don't know. It was like finding themselves again and then everything that grew out of that. I, I'm infinitely inspired, I feel like, by this podcast and by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thanks for listening. Oh, oh, wait, wait. I had a no. minor rant to go with that. Uh, yeah, and just don't don't sign off after that. I have one more little little segment before uh, before okay. uh, we finish wait. up. Yes, um, I just want to say when I was looking for that on the interwebs, I googled Beastie Boys documentary Apple TV, and the second link is a Pitchfork article. From April 20th of 2020. Happy 420, bro. Um, and the, the headline is Spike Jones's new Beastie Boys movie is no fun. <laughs> and it goes on to just, it goes on to describe it. And they, it said this, I like this. It, it's, it's basically a PowerPoint of the Beastie Boys story with a running commentary. That's it. No curveballs, no surprises. Essentially, it's one long lifetime achievement award that they hand out to themselves and watching their youthful irreverence stiffening into middle age reverence is a bit sad. I'm going to find this mofo, Jason Green, and I'm going to hurt him. Um, and I'm just like it's like a there's a worst attitude about this. Granted, he's basically saying that it's there. They put out a book a couple of years ago. And it's like a slideshow of the book. I yeah, it. that book is awesome. I, I, I didn't see the book. so The book is great. And if you like the movie, I, you should And I thought it was fun. I 
thought I I thought the documentary fun. I love everything Spike Jones does, and forget about Jason Green and his bad attitude headline. Spike Jones's new Beastie Boys movie is the book no fun. Is a photo- the book is a photographic and oral history of the Beastie Boys, which especially if you have any interest in New York City, like all those all those stories and all those photog all those photographs, they capture you know, a particular time in New York City, like kind of, uh, you know, I guess it's two decades before I got there, but not long before I got there, that was really exciting for me to uh, to look at. Well, if you've seen the book, it may not be as exciting. Anyway, oh, by the way, no. eight avocados for the Beastie Boys story. I yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to give it eight, av- eight avocados because I know I'm going to love it. Great. Uh, I wanted to... Uh, and after this, don't even forget, I have something to forward uh, promote involving Jameson. But uh, I, when we were talking about Austin Football Club, Los Argoles, uh, it occurred to me <laughs> that uh, that it might be fun to do a poetry corner with a poem about soccer. So I, uh, <laughs> I just Googled poems about soccer. So I don't know if this is a good one or not, but I'm excited about it. It's called... It's by West Yorkshire-born Simon Armitage, and it's called Goalkeeper with a Cigarette. That's him, sat down, not like the other clowns, performing acrobatics on the bar or press-ups in the box or running on the spot, togged out in turtleneck pajama suits with hands as stunted as a bunch of thumbs, hands that are bandaged or swaddled with gloves, laughable frying pan, sausage man gloves. Not my man, though. That's not what my man does. A man who stubs his reefers on the post and kicks his heels in the stud marks and butts, lighting the next from the last in one breath, making the save of the year with his legs, taking back a deep drag on the goal line in the next on the one hand throwing out or snaffling the ball from a high corner flicking off loose ash with the other he is what he is does whatever suits him because he has no highfalutin song to sing no neat message for the nation on the theme of genius or dedication his passport under occupation no one forced the man to print the word custodian and in the Faber book of Handy Hints, his five-line entry reads, You young pretenders, keepers of the knot, the niche, defenders of the sweet fuck all. Think bigger than your pockets, profiles, health, better by half to take a sideways view, take a tip from me, and deface yourselves. Nice. <laughs> I feel like we've had a lot of profanity in this episode. I'm excited yeah, which is good, you know. Uh, yeah. If you're going to... That's you know, how if we're you're feeling. Gonna put, if you're gonna put on every episode that it's a uh, that it's explicit, then you got you know you got to get explicit every now and then. Well, first I thought that people from my old church were going to be listening, and now I realize that's not happening. So. <laughs> I'm all good. Fucking we do man. it. We do it all for you, India and man. Those, those fucking beanie baby cunts. <laughs> 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 Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a reference to my previous most explicit episode. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, if anybody's listening in India, our hearts go out to you. Um, yeah. Sounds like there's a lot of struggle going on right now, right, right now over there with the virus, and uh, we are worried about you and 
um, we'll try to find, you know, I'll, I'll search for um, ways that, you know, can uh, that we can maybe help financially or help some other way, and I'll put them on the Facebook page. In addition Get to, at us and let, let us know how we can help. In addition to tweeting the U.S. government saying, please send as many vaccinations as possible abroad, especially if the yokels around here aren't going to use them. Yeah, so, people, I think people are done in the States. I think everybody <laughs> who wants one has one. There's a bunch of false information and people don't want them. So we'll get them to you, India. We love and, you. Uh, be sure to join us next time. What I would like to do, our our buddy Jameson, executive producer and uh, uh, Texas Tech theater student extraordinaire, uh, directed this really cool little thing uh, based on the work of Ralph Waldo Emerson, I would like. I'm gonna. I gotta get permission first, but I'd like to put it on our Facebook page so that everybody can watch it, and then, uh, and then, very soon, let's have him on to discuss it. Nice. This was an action-packed episode. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. Get at us if you enjoyed it. Get at us if you hated it. Either way, give us five stars on Apple. I wonder. If, if anybody out there is feeling really go-getter, maybe find other places where podcasts are reviewed and send a note about, you know, the fact that our 100th episode is coming up and that maybe we should be on their radar. It would be better if it came from a fan and not from one of us. But right. we'll certainly, we'll do the same thing. And just to remind you, uh, the poorer the choices. The sweeter the one. The shift in the center of violence My root is strong and sturdy, and I'm about to come forth. Cruising for a bruising, a formidable force. A man by a funky donkey, now I'm standing in front. I got the OG formula to get it all done. So step the back and put your ear to the ground. Cause I'm on a war path and I ain't backing down. Stand up, stand up, fight your fight. Stand up, stand up, knock out life. Stand up, stand out, and I don't back down. Stand up, stand up, and you're going down. So I think it's about time I express myself Cause it's sitting on the top of a buried city of gold And a full of kind of street credit tenfold So I'm coming through the back door while you ain't looking No bridging you at the knees and causing a crippling So step the f*** down cause I'm stepping up And it's never too late for a late bloomer riser The shift to the center of Stand up, stand up, fight the fight, stand up, stand up, knock out lies.
Nuts.